0: But I think there's the the win is when you can truly get to a paperless mortgage. And when you think about it, um, most people um, have W-2 type jobs, not all, a lot of self-employed people, but those folks, you know, there should be a process whereby they should never have to submit anything, right? Their W-2, we know what they submit to the government. That should just be check, right? I say I make X, I verify X.
1: Hey, folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And today we have the privilege of welcoming Desmond Smith, the Chief Growth Officer at UWM to the Housing News Podcast. In this conversation with Desmond, we talk about how his career, which has spanned multiple institutions across the mortgage industry, including Fannie Mae, has shaped the way he operates as a mortgage executive in his new capacity at UWM of helping grow the broker channel. In this conversation with Desmond, he jumps into how the past year has shaped his personal and professional goals, how he leads each each day in helping the folks that he works with have the right mindset, and how his strategy to grow the Broker Channel is coming to fruition. Folks, I really hope you enjoy this episode with an incredibly smart, experienced, and impressive guest, Desmond Smith. Awesome. We're back at, just about to kick off Housing Wire Annual. It is uh, Tuesday morning, and I know this isn't dropping live, but I'm thrilled to be on site with Desmond Smith from United Wholesale Mortgage. Desmond, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Looking forward to uh, the conference. Thanks for making the trip to to Scottsdale. I think you and I both did the flight direct from uh, direct from Las Vegas after a, a busy week at AIM Fuse. Five, right? Fifth Enfuse year. five. Yes, yeah, sir. Good, good opportunity to bring the the broker channel together, and now here at Housing Week Annual, bringing the the broader housing industry together with mortgage lenders and title companies and appraisers and real estate brokerages and all the tech firms that support us. So it's a, uh, it is a kind of a, a cool week to get to go straight from the originator side to this uh, kind of corporate leadership group here at, here at HousingWire Annual. And we're thrilled to have you. So Desmond, I want to kind of kick off learning more about your role as chief growth officer at UWM. And maybe before we can get to the, the current role, I'll talk about your background. And I don't know your whole story, but I do know that you were a leader at Fannie Mae before moving over to UWM. And I'd love to kind of hear your, your background in the mortgage industry.
0: Yeah, so uh, I always say I'm an old guy in the mortgage industry. This is my 31st year in the mortgage business. Uh, started a long, long time ago working at HUD um, and quickly realized uh, government work wasn't for me. And then I worked for uh, 10 years at Wells Fargo, um, five years at JPMorgan Chase, five and a half years at Citi. A little bit of time at Capital One, and then uh, what, you, uh, what you mentioned most recently was Fannie Mae. I was chief customer officer for Fannie Mae, and I had uh, a lot of responsibility. I had all customers um, that sold to Fannie and had responsibility from everything from the credit side to the servicing side. Um, so it was uh, a good run for four and a half years. So I've been around for a long time.
1: And so, guys, okay, four and a half years at Fannie, yeah. where were you during the the GFC and the, the the tough days of the housing industry?
0: Yeah, that. Um, so that was, I was at Chase. Chase then. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it was a different perspective to be at a large financial institution and at one that was, you know, probably the most sound of any that were out there and the, to feel the rumblings. It, those were scary times, I think, because no one knew what was going to happen right that was just kind of unprecedented and so it was uh it was it was you most of us saw the run up because you just saw things going on and go this doesn't make too much fundamental sense but uh yeah those 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 were some tricky times back then
1: how did that experience at chase in those years shape your your leadership style or your views on growing businesses in the mortgage industry
0: so you know, I look at it this way: a um, lot of things happen to us that we can't control, and I think what it what it gave me at least was a foundation of look. You had I worked for big companies, so I never worked for a small company that was under a ton of pressure. Everybody's under pressure, but it did show me that even if you have a solid foundation, it's the person at the front or leading the team. When he or she stands up, and because it's about rallying the troops and making people feel good, and that they're working for a place that's going to be okay, and so it gave me a lot of bit of uh, a lot of foundation on that, and you know, I, I credit making it through that for a lot of the success I've had since then.
1: That's re- that's really interesting. And so at Fannie, you said you were chief customer officer, working with some of the big clients. What did, what did those interactions look like? How did you help the the large clients at Fannie? Yeah, d- different perspective. So I had
0: the largest of the large and you know the smallest sellers to Fannie. Um, and they all come with different challenges or opportunities, depending on how you want to look at it. I think the reality was, you know, not only does, you know, you have Fannie and Freddie. Um, so both of them, you know, are there. To, and I, I go back and say, I think Fannie and Freddie's mission is very interesting when you think about it. It's probably, and I don't know all companies, but it's probably one of the only companies that has a mission to help, right? So affordability, minority home ownership, and a mission to make money. Or So it's very challenging there. And I think they do arguably a good job of threading the needle. So providing um, good programs that help uh, affordable, affordable affordability issues and keeps the right tension on, Making sure people who you're putting in houses can actually stay in the house, so I say fannie being at Fannie working with some of the larger lenders was really about how do we help on the affordable things, and then some of the smaller lenders were just trying to figure out how to maximize their growth opportunities so it, it was it was a it was an interesting role because not only did you have like I said this mission oriented affordability, minority home ownership, but we still had goals to make money and uh, originate a good book of business, high FICO scores, good LTVs. So um, Fannie days were good days. You got to meet a lot of different people, all the CEOs of the big companies um, and of the small companies. And I said it was people have very different drivers to what they were trying to achieve. From Like I said, some people just wanted to grow volume. Some people want to maximize profit. Um, and Fannie's job is to make sure you're delivering a good Portfolio good book of business
1: yeah we in talking to folks across the industry, I mean obviously Fannie and Freddie are incredibly influential in their origination strategy they 're also influential in the the technology and, and ops strategy, and we talk to a lot of the the tech innovators that are that are here at this event um, having Integration with Fannie and Freddie and the the blessing on um, on betas and different different tests is incredibly critical. As in your role as CCO, how did did technology play a role in the way you interacted with the, the banks and non banks that that you serve as clients? Yeah, it was huge. Um,
0: so I was there when day one certainly rolled out. I still think um, we've probably realized 25, 30% percent. I'm guessing of the true opportunity to leverage data to really improve the mortgage process. Um, So I think Fannie uh, absolutely knew where they want to go and still want to go there. And I think director Thompson is the right director who will help uh, get us further along, but um, technology is the enablement of the process, right? So I don't think technology can fix a bad process, but technology can sure help it. So you think about things that are being done today um, like even us rolling out SafeCheck, for example, right? SafeCheck is leveraging technology. You can, you know, not have to pay the full amount for the trimerge until you know the customer is ready. Um, and you can use our Balt technology to get them completely approved. You're using the pre-checked uh, appraisal waiver process. So technology enables all of these things, and I used to, I saw that firsthand at Fannie. The question, the the biggest challenge is adoption, right? Because most mortgage owners are like me, been around a long time, you've been doing a process the same way for a long time. And so to bring technology in, it means in a lot of places you have to change, completely change your process. I think that's an evolution and that's what we're seeing.
1: So you mentioned that you think we're 25 or 30% away down the path of data adoption in the, in the mortgage industry. How would you categorize, like what is that 25% that we've accomplished? And then what is the next 75% look like? What do we, what do we have to achieve next to get deeper in our utilization of the data that's already out there? Yeah.
0: I so I, I
1: don't, there'd be no one I think
0: you'd talk to who wouldn't say
1: we've made
0: progress So I think things we made progress on, again, is like using, being able to go and get bank statement information without having to provide the bank statements, right? I think that's probably one of the biggest um, uh, advances we made. I think we made some advances um, in the appraisal side, too, right, where you can do the inspection and then maybe you don't need a full-blown So I think you've made these initial steps, and that's what I call them, initial steps, But I think there's the the win is when you can truly get to a paperless mortgage, and when you think about it, um, most people um, have W two type jobs. Not all, a lot of self employed people, but those folks, you know, there should be a process whereby they should never have to submit anything, right? They're W two. We know what they submit to the government. That should just be check, right? I say I make X. I verify X. Um, it gets a little bit more difficult. When you're going
1: back to the day one factor. Day one certainly, yeah. right?
0: So I think that's part of it. Same thing with um, folks who have traditional banking, right? If you bank with a financial institution, I know how many people use Zelle, but if you use Zelle, all the banks have come together as a consortium, and they know when they can move the money around, same way should be at some point the ability to verify the assets with these banks. So like I said, I, I think we've all could agree that we know it's the future, it's how we get there, and you know, I think one of the reasons I went to UWM is you know we are a company that is absolutely leveraging technology to do everything we do. Now you know we're only one company, um, but we push and try to get us to be more efficient because that drives client experience, that drives cost. So again, I think we're we're down the path, uh, but it's going to take time to have complete adoption to where these things where where they're able should be able to be checks, right? Just verification
1: processes versus all the documentation review. So the growth trajectory at UWM has been, has been phenomenal. Um, what attracted you to the opportunity to join the organization as chief growth officer with a, with a tall order to continue this trajectory of outsized growth? You know, I'll tell you. So when I
0: went to Fannie in 2016 and when I went to Fannie, I ran the East uh, the lady who subsequently ran the West uh, left, so I got promoted to take over the country. So I didn't have UWM; I had never, be honest, if you heard of it, uh, nine at shore at the time. And I meet Matt Ishbia, and this is probably early 2017. And I it was a I was blown away because I'm used to a little bit more, I would say, structured CEOs who are you know they got their you know their their, their marching orders, and Matt was just driven by look, this is the right thing for consumers. He's passionate about brokers. And I was like, you know, i would never really done that before. I was always retail, did some correspondent. And so when I started to do some uh, investigating, obviously Fanny gets to see everything, right? FICO's, LTVs and stuff. Um, I was blown away by the growth of the, the, the business. And, you know, I like Matt's passion. I mean, what you see with Matt is who he is. He's driven, Um, to make sure folks know that if you go to a broker, you're going to get arguably a better experience. It's going to be cheaper. I mean, I think most people have seen the Humla data that came out, $9,400 cheaper for a consumer using a broker. So I'm like, this this is amazing. I mean, maybe I missed it. And, you know, again, um, for me, I had never worked for a non-bank. I'd worked for companies that are, you know, great companies, but very structured. And I was like, okay, non-bank, let me – let me see about this. And the passion from Matt, um, you know, I was like, okay, this is something that could be interesting. So as chief growth officer, I have responsibility for sales and marketing and helping drive um, continued growth in the broker channel. So it was it kind of was a nice match at the time, right?
1: So I've seen uh, Matt share a slide that kind of represents, a, you know, roughly 20% broker market share right now with uh, – with ambitions of maybe fifty percent plus by, by twenty thirty, how do you achieve that vision as chief growth, growth officer? What can you do to to power that that honestly pretty monumental shift in the way that mortgages are originated today? Well, I think, so I think it starts first and foremost with leveraging
0: facts and data, right? Facts and data from Humda says $9,400 cheaper for a consumer to go through a broker, $10,400 cheaper for a minority to go through a broker. So I think some of it is like having this uh, opportunity to talk to you, to share that, because I'm sure most people, I'm not sure how many consumers really understand the difference between a broker or a banker. Um, you know, I worked for banks most of my life, Many people still walk into their bank and say, I want to buy a house.
1: Oh, I mean, I remember the, um, the, the GFC days when Jamie Dimon conveniently used the term broker to reference all LOs for, for a long time.
0: <laughs> From his perspective, you know, it doesn't, you know, a lot of people don't see the difference. So I think the opportunity here, first opportunity, is continue to get the message out about brokers. A lot of brokers are um, small like uh, basically self-employed people in your local neighborhood. Yep. Um, and, you know, a company like UWM, we're enabling them to be, I would argue, to give you as many marketing and uh, successful tactics of success as any large lender, right? We, again, we know they have a better price. We know they give a better co- uh, better cost structure. Our client experience, I mean, our average clear to close for our, um, our brokers, which means for the consumers, is 19 days, So I think first of it is the messaging and getting it out. I think the second part is ties to that also, which is there's a lot of folks in retail who don't know about the wholesale channel. So again, this is another opportunity to share with them and say, listen, I'm not saying you need to start your own brokerage. Great. If you want to, but if not come work for a broker, you'll have better rates. You'll have a better client experience on average and you'll give lower costs. So most of it is messaging um, from what maybe people thought before the financial crisis to what it is today, and um, you know, UWM is a major driver of that, right? UWM brought, like I like to say, a lot of legitimacy to the broker
1: world. Yep, yeah. There's clear. I mean, the the metrics that you share are are impressive on the on the cost structure and the impact that can have on consumers. Um, but when you think about kind of the the broader industry and the power of, of choice for consumers. There, there are values that, that other models bring to the, bring to the ecosystem. And, um, and I, I, you hear talking to originators now. There seems to be a little, little more interest in adjustable rate mortgages, which um, I think the, the depositories might have a, a, li- a little advantage in if they're willing to, if they're willing to portfolio. Is that, is that still dynamic? Or are you seeing arms kind of pop in the wholesale space yeah, as think, well? I, I think our arms
0: have. I think arms are probably north of ten percent now. And before, okay. I mean, they trailed another low single digit. I mean, it was very rare you'd find someone that would take an arm. But I, I would say I don't I don't think the depositories um, have an advantage on arms. I, you have to okay. have an advantage on jumbo products um, that they can put on their balance sheet, yeah. right? So if you say a jumbo arm, a hundred percent, right? Okay. Um, but you know we have every product offered through Fannie and Freddie at the same rates, if not better than any of these larger retail or bank depositories. But Where they would have the advantage is just factual, would be on anything that they would put on their portfolio. Um, so like a jumbo arm, of course. Um, if you know their CFO says, Hey, we're going to base, base this on some ROA, it's a different reality. But a standard Fannie Freddie arm product, which said, I think, we're in the low uh, uh, 10, 12 percent. So, is that, so
1: is the how does that, I don't know the answer to this. How does that 10% compare? How does that UWM 10% compare to the broader industry on adjustable? You know, I I don't know. I mean, I think
0: we've all seen arms become uh, much more, uh, you know, I would say uh, something that people are interested in. Another thing we're seeing back today is buy downs, right? I mean, I, we did buy downs, I think, 20 years ago. Yeah. Like people was like, no,
1: I mean, I, oh, I think we covered some news of buy downs and all like the OGs in the mortgage world is like, that's yeah. nothing new. Why are you even talking yeah, about no, that? <laughs> I mean, I did
0: it. I mean, I originally a long, long time ago. I mean, that was very common, right? Yeah. A 2 1 buy down. Um, and I think a lot of people understand, you know, in the buy down, that money goes in an escrow. If you refire or sell the house, that money goes back to you. It's not like the money goes away. So, I mean, buy downs are a great product that, again, haven't been around. I mean, it may be 15, 20 plus. I mean, well, they've always been around, but no one's needed needed one because we were in basically, you know, uh, a seller's market. So now it's a buyer's market. They have a lot more ability to negotiate. And that's a great, great option.
1: When we watch our kind of audience trends on what people are engaging with, we've seen an increased interest in in traffic around um, non-QM related news and reverse mortgage related news. And uh, we think that's like a a signal of originators hunting for for volume and like trying to expand their product breadth to <laughs> to replace some of the volume that's kind of some of the air that's left the room in the in the last year. Um, are you seeing that interest amongst brokers and expanding the the breadth of product offering? Yeah, I think that's the reality today.
0: When you see rates have when rates have risen as fast as they have, um, and you know, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the number is, but maybe forty percent, fifty percent down from last year, everyone will say, okay, what are the other opportunities for me? I'm not even going to say to get back to where I was, hopefully get back to at least where I was. And that is doing you know, additional products. Not like we rolled out uh, earlier this year, a bank statement program. Uh, we rolled out a DSCR debt service uh, program. Um, and like I said, I know people are doing reverse mortgages. People are doing renovation lending, um, all different types of things to help. And I don't think those things are, are bad. They're just different ways to um, help the market. And so, yeah, I think you're seeing everybody look at all different types of options uh, to allow them to, you know, keep growing their business or even sustain where they were.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, talking about like the kind of some of the loss of volume we've had, rates have moved up so rapidly over the last six months. Um, I think those of us that are in this industry for for our careers know that we're we're operating in an industry that it has cycles. We have, we have ebbs and flows. And, uh, if you're committed to the housing industry, it's not, um, a question of, Oh, should I stay in this? Cause the refi boom is gone. It's how do I succeed or how do I stay alive in the, in the, um, in the flow and then profit in the, in the, or actually flip that around. Um, how do I survive in the ebb and profit in the flow? But so how do, um, how do you manage mindset of your, of your team? And like so starting at the executive level, like how do you set the example of, St- like knowing what you've learned through 31 years of operating in the housing industry, how do you teach that to the next generation that has to know how to have the right mindset to stay strong through these obviously like just more challenging times?
0: Well, so I think it starts right there What you said leadership, right? If you have leaders who are down, like, I can't believe where rates are. This is, <laughs> yeah, um, it starts there, right? This is the reality of where we are. And if you've been in the business a long time, you've seen cycles, even if you haven't been in the business a long time, mindset is everything. If I wake up and go, it's going to be a bad day, it's pretty much going to be a bad <laughs> day. Right? So, you know, we at UWM and I've learned throughout my career, um, I'm not going to sit here and say um, bad things don't happen to good people. They do, but it's what we do about it. Right? So it's like saying, okay, we rolled out uh, investor DSCR, we rolled out bank statements. We're going to continue to find ways to help our people, our team members win, our brokers win, And you got to do things differently, right? You can't wake up and keep doing the same thing and go, why is it not changing? Well, the market's evolved. The market's changed. Doesn't mean people aren't still buying homes. But now, you know, a lot of people weren't actively going after realtors and builders. So now, get out there and talk to realtors. Get out there and talk to builders. Tell them that you can get them a clear to close in 15, 19 days. Tell them about the way that we do things that will get them more referrals. So it really does start with the leaders and saying, Folks, yes, this is reality. I'm not saying it's not reality. It's what our actions are. It's what we do about it um, that will, will will be the difference. Because I think there's a lot of people in our business right now who have their head, head held low. Oh, I've just got to survive. And you know, we talk about this at UWM. We're not trying to survive. We're trying to thrive in this market. And it really is only mindset, right? It is, um, I would say, effort. It's attitude. It's Know making your
1: own reality versus being a victim of someone else's. In a in a bank or a large organization, you have like the the obvious communication lines and responsibility to carry that mindset and leadership to the employees of the company. In the broker channel, you're a little bit different. Your uh, your team are uh, your the, the the brokers are not employees of UWM. They're they're partners. Do you feel the responsibility to bring that leadership and mindset to the the origination community that you, that you support?
0: So we do something and I highly recommend any broker. um, You can uh, log on our website. We do something called the Wednesday morning sales meeting every Wednesday morning, every Wednesday morning, unless it's a national holiday, we have a sales meeting. Um, And so I think brokers should tune in. We do it for our folks live thousand people, But we've broadcast it throughout, and you can tune in at 9 or 12 um, and get to see it, or we even do uh, replays of it. But I think part of that is also community. We also do success tracks, so every broker is invited out to our campus um, to come see what we do and how we do it, 7,000 people fully devoted to doing nothing but supporting brokers and wholesale lending. So I think we try to provide some community because I can see, you know, if it's just Desmond Smith in my office um, and, you know, you're reading the news, you're like, oh, okay, and it's different, more difficult for you. Sometimes you don't have that community. So we do try to provide that, right? That sales meeting, um, Matt does three points. Um, We do, um, you know, just everything we can to put the messaging Out there, So that we can help uplift people to say, look, there's someone else there with you. Um, I think, like I said, a big part of that is success track coming out and visiting because that success track, that community get to meet other brokers who may be in Texas. This one may be in Florida. Someone else may be in Maryland. And it gives them that network. So we're doing our best to kind of help bridge that gap of what some would say community.
1: That's interesting. So UWM has kind of, I think, developed a, a reputation for for making big moves every now and then. And and last year, um, you, you made some waves in the in the valuation space, and um, I think had some some AMC's on edge. Uh, I think there's been some announcements recently in the in the title space. Can you tell us more about what UWM is doing in terms of title innovation?
0: Yeah, I, I think at first I'd say, for, yes, I'll tell you. But at first, I think it starts with. Um, our focus to ensure that folks know going to a broker is good, if not, I would say best for them. Again, we talked about the $94. So the things that we roll out will always be around enhancing client experience, providing speed and efficiency to marketing costs. So we rolled out two of the big rollouts um, that made this week past weekend was you close 3.0 and track. So you close 3.0. You close 3.0, you can't even say it. You close 3.0 really says you can close virtually or you can do a hybrid. So close most of the documents online and then f- sign a few of the wet documents at the closing. That's all about speed and efficiency. We, we like to say you can close 24 hours a day, six days a week. Um, so that's one of the big announcements. Taking Sundays off? Taking Sundays off, Oh, jeez, right? come on. Uh, you know, we got to give some we had people to have the rest for a few, a little bit. <laughs> and then the one you mentioned was track, which stands for a Title Review and Closing. And what we're saying is rather than get a lender, uh, lender insurance policy, l- lender's title policy, we've hired lawyers who will review the title, make sure the title is clear, and we'll do it for a better cost because for us, it's about, look, we know there's big affordability issues right now, larger than ever. And so we think you can save somewhere between $800 on a refinance and $1,000 on a purchase. And, you know, again, we're doing the review. Um, so there's nothing, you know, there's no one's missing out on anything. Um, and we just figure out it's a, it's a more efficient way it's a cheaper way and we'll do that on behalf of brokers and
1: we'll do that on behalf of consumers. So in the in the topic of growth and, and making waves, when you look across the mortgage space right now, we're we're starting to see another a consolidation wave. And we're we're seeing some moves in the wholesale market, we're seeing some retail lenders consolidate. If I'm not mistaken, and I kind of look back at the history of UWM, it's been relatively, if not a hundred percent, organic to this stage, correct? Do we expect that trajectory to continue or do you think there's ever a, a a day where a a capability or distribution point is uh helpful in the inorganic side of the growth strategy? Listen,
0: I'm not going to sit here and speak on behalf of Matt ever uh but I think the reality is when you've seen success the way we've done it which is basically I kind of call it uh grit and grinding and When you are doing things because you believe in your soul, they're best for the consumer. um, I think that's the driver, right? The things that we roll out, be it game on pricing, be it track, be it safe check, appraisal direct, those aren't things where you see UWM trying to maximize profit, right? Those are things where you see UWM saying, I want the message to be everywhere that it is better for consumers to use a broker, and that's how you get to 33% market share. That's how you get to 50% market share with brokers, because you're doing things that drive client experience. You're doing things that are increase efficiencies, um, drive down costs, um, and so I think when you stay true to who you are and what built this company. Um, I think that will make continue to make the difference, and we'll grow broker market share over That's time. That's
1: awesome. So, Desmond, there's a question I've asked a lot of our guests this year, kind of as the the closing question. And um, 2022 has obviously brought a lot of change for for all for all of us. What is one strongly held belief that that you've changed your mind on this year? So, something you came into the year believing or believing to be true um, that uh, you know the market or the industry or innovation has taught you otherwise. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think about this. There's been one thing again, I've been doing this a long time.
0: So most of the things that I always, I don't, I don't really hold anything anymore. Like it's only one way to do it. I think the biggest thing I I not learned this year, but I will continue um, to know is the right thing, which is when you are doing things that benefit others, they end up benefiting you. Right. So, Uh, When you're doing things, and listen, I have no right to judge. You'll never hear me judging one. But when you're doing things that maximizes profits over doing what's right for the market or for your consumers, I think those are the things where you've seen hurt people, right? They were foot down to grow, but then they didn't support their back end, their foundation, their people. And I think you're seeing some of those people struggle or exit. So it's not about... You know, when you're at, when the times are good, stripping out all the money. Again, I'm not the one to judge. It's about how do you invest to ensure that if this is truly your business, that you want to be your business for you know the foreseeable future. You're making the right investments in people and in technology, and I think that's some of the success you've seen at UWM. And it's the way I look at kind of my career. It's like you respect people, you treat people fairly, you will always be fine no matter what happens in what any market or any cycle.
1: Desmond, thank you for joining us.
0: I appreciate you. Thank you for having me.
1: Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.